Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. guest here with us from Journey Canada. He's going to share what, what he represents and what he's all about. Would you just join with me in welcoming Daniel Kamori this morning? And uh, I believe uh, I've heard nothing but good things. So this is exciting. But no pressure, man. No pressure at all. Thanks, Daniel. Bless you. Great. Thank you. Good morning, Journey Church. Uh, it's about time that uh, Journey Canada made its way here since we have such a common name. So it's good to, good to finally be here. I was telling Dave uh, that I've never actually stepped inside this church, but I've seen it for a long time. I, I'm a Northwest kid, born and raised uh, in Ranchlands. I lived there for 17 years, and so this Northwest area is uh, my, my hood. I live in Edgemont now, but uh, this is kind of my area. So I'm glad to be here uh, to share with you a bit about the ministry of Journey Canada and uh, what it is that we do as a ministry is we provide a, a safe place for men and women um, to talk about issues and struggles in their life and to discover the love of God in community. Sounds really simple, but what it really means is talking about the stuff that we normally don't feel safe talking about, either in our family, maybe we never talked about this stuff in our family, maybe we, our churches have never been safe places, maybe we can't even talk about these things with our friends or our spouses. Uh, areas of brokenness, of shame, of struggle. And as a ministry, we try to provide a place where you can do that and not just talk about it, but actually encounter the living God and experience transformation in doing that. So that's our ministry. I've been involved for uh, 14 years. I'm married, have uh, three children. Um, I just want to read a quick scripture before I invite uh, my friend Marty to come up. He's going to share a bit about how our ministry impacted him. But I just want to read this uh, text of scripture found in Luke which uh, talks about the ministry of Jesus and how he wants to meet the broken. It says this in, in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Then Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is kind of like a mission statement of Jesus. And what he's saying in this, in this passage, or what he's saying about himself in reading Isaiah, is he's saying, I've come to actually proclaim good news to the poor. Those people who feel poor in spirit, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who are bound by many things, recovery of sight to the blind, those who struggle to see clearly. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed, those who are oppressed by the enemy, by evil, by brokenness and sin. And he's saying, this is my purpose. And that's the purpose of Journey Canada. 
actually. We try to provide a safe place in the church where people can encounter the living God in their brokenness. And so before I begin uh, my message, I'm going to ask Marty to come up. And uh, he's a part of this church. And uh, maybe give him a hand as he comes up. <laughs> I said maybe, so they had a choice, so they, they, they wanted to, yeah. Um, and uh, he's just going to share a little bit about uh, his own experience. He's been uh, connected with us for about a, a year and a bit, and so uh, he's going to share a bit about um, the impact of the ministry in his own life. Thank you. I'm scripted. <laughs> Sorry. I don't do this usually, so. So, uh, Daniel said, my name is Marty. I usually sit up there with my wife, Brandy. I have three kids, some of whom show up occasionally. Um, anyway. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story, kind of before I got into Journey, and uh, how Journey sort of has impacted my life. So uh, I was raised in the church, in the church culture, um, with churchy beliefs and churchy expectations and all of the things that come with being part of the church growing up. Um, not really a bad way to grow up. Uh, I was a pretty awkward kid, though. I was kind of funny looking, and um, I had like big buck teeth and had a really big weird-shaped head. Uh, I grew into it. Just imagine a five-year-old with this head. That's <laughs> exactly what I looked like. Um, yeah, I wasn't really uh, cool at all, uh, but I tried. And I, um, I wasn't funny, but I tried. Um, I remember somebody, I remember a couple people once describing me as a try-hard, you know, in junior high. Um, when I was an adolescent, I discovered a place where I could be cool <coughs> and accepted and get all the attention I wanted. Um, and that was the world of pornography. In my fantasies, every girl liked me. Um, every relationship went smoothly. And I never said anything stupid. I looked like a movie star. And I always got what I wanted. Of course, I knew it was wrong um, because of my upbringing. And, uh, <coughs> I felt an awful lot of guilt and shame about it. Um, I couldn't stop seeking it out. It seemed to be meeting a need. All the things I tried to stop myself never really worked out as I got older, so I sought help through counseling and I tried to do better. Um, praying harder, succeeding for a while, failing, having small victories and massive defeats. My, generally, my general trajectory was kind of downward. Um, after multiple failed attempts to get fixed, I started to feel like maybe I wasn't really a Christian. Because if I was a real Christian, then um, surely I wouldn't be doing these things anymore. So going into Journey, this was the impression I had of myself as a sort of lifelong Christian who didn't really belong in the Christian realm with the real Christians. I felt like God just wanted to work with the good kids and wanted to cultivate something in their lives and would occasionally glance in my direction and say something like, could you just <clears throat> stop what you're doing and just stop being a distraction and uh, sit still and be quiet for a while while I work with the other kids and cultivate something real in their lives. You're not producing anything, so just be thankful I'm letting you be here at all. So um, I had a friend, Graham, who also works with Journey Canada. Um, he had been involved with Journey uh, Canada for a while, and he had started telling me about it and started gently suggesting maybe this is a program I might find helpful. At Journey, I found um, safety. I found a place where everyone is open about their struggles and talks about the ugliness. 
I found a place where I could lower my well-established walls enough to allow myself to hear God speaking to me and realize that he had always been speaking to me. I went in planning to get fixed. Uh, God had a different idea, though. I thought I had come to deal with the pornography addiction and with my sin, but God wanted me to understand where this feeling of not being good enough was coming from and to confront it and to confront him about how I felt about him. God started showing me he was less interested in solving me and the external things that I did than wanting me to really, for the first time, truly understand how much he loves me and knows that I am, and wants me to know that I'm not a distraction, know that I have done well because it's his work and it always has been. And that he very much had been focusing on me and giving me all of his attention in a way that nobody else on earth ever could. He showed me that my addictions and sinful behavior are not who I am, but that my only identity is his beloved creation, his child. So now, um, I'm not cured, I still struggle, but I also know in the midst of my struggles that I am not in the room by accident. God knows that I am going to fail and he knows that I'm going to struggle and he keeps on telling me over and over and over again that his grace is sufficient to cover everything that's ever happened, everything I'm doing right now and everything that I ever will do. He tells me that he will continue to work in me and all I need to do is keep remembering that the outcome is his responsibility and I can trust him with my life. Perhaps some of you here might want to consider this. Um, might want to consider joining this program um, because if there's anything I've learned is that there's probably nothing worse in this life than having to spend your entire life hiding. Thank you. So as Marty said, uh, we offer a regular course. Uh, our next uh, upcoming course is a 17-week course uh, starting November 17th. It's hosted at uh, Rock Point Church in Bowness, so right at the bottom of Canada Olympic Park. Uh, so if any of you are interested, uh, we do have information at the back, um, and uh, you can get that, or you can uh, email me. Uh, you can get my email from somewhere. You know? <laughs> Somebody in this church will have my email. You can talk to uh, Marty up there. And also Julie here. Julie, want to just wave your hand? Uh, she's recently just been involved in our course as well. And she said, if anybody wants to talk to me about what it's been like for me, uh, maybe as a female you'd like to talk to somebody uh, uh, who's female about uh, what the ministry is. And so this morning what I want to do is really talk about, um, broadly speaking, what does it mean that God's made you and I as people who long for intimacy? What does it mean that we're made in God's image as people who long for connection, for relationship, for depth of connection. What does that actually mean? And how does that get kind of screwed up in our lives? And what is God's desire to bring us healing? So what is God's intention for making us made in his image? And how does God want to bring about wholeness? I don't know. I'm getting feedback. Do I stand right in this spot? Right, right here. Okay. So what does it mean that God has made us in his image as male and female, as sexual and relational beings? Well, uh, you know, our our culture gives oh, hello is that better is that better if I move around over here okay I can move all right um, you know our uh, Christianity gets a bad rep 
in our culture kind of as being something that's negative towards sexuality or I was talking about it in a bad way, like it's a bad thing, but that's absolutely not true. Um, in, in fact, when you think about, well, where does the Bible talk about sexuality? You know, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right at the beginning. This was God's idea to make you and I as male and female in his image. People who long for connection, long for intimacy, are built for intimacy. So those of you who know scripture, the very beginning of Genesis says what? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Good. Good answer. In the beginning, God. And when you read Genesis, uh, the very first chapters talk about his creation of every, everything, right? The sun, moon, and stars, the land, the earth, uh, you know, animals, everything. And after he makes everything, there's always this common statement that says, it is good, it is good, it is good, right? After every day of creation, everything is good. This is a beautiful thing that God's creating. Um, and then you get to the place where God creates humanity in his image, right? Man is made in, in his image, humanity. And we are the only things that are described as reflecting something of the nature of God. We actually are like God in many ways, right? And we are made to actually connect. We actually long to connect with this creator God, right? In Genesis, that actually says God breathes his spirit into us and we become alive. So I think there is a sense for all of us that we actually have this hunger and longing to connect with him who is infinite. We have this infinite longing that only the infinite God can fill. And some people describe this as our spirituality, this hunger that we have to connect with the transcendent, with God. Um, but it says in Genesis 2, you know, we hear this refrain, it is good, it is good, it is good. But in Genesis 2, it says, it is not good for the man to be alone, for this hum human person to be singular. And so this is where we see in the Genesis creation narrative, you and I made as male and female. Okay, it says God then made them male and female, right? He creates Eve out of the rib of Adam, and now we are gendered beings, male and female, right? We, we long for connection with not just God, but with other people, right? We have this hunger to connect with other people. We long for depth of relationship with other people. And God actually built us that way. He created us to long for that. And in many ways, this is because we are made in his image. God himself is community. God himself is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is a communion of love. And so when he made you and I, he made us to actually be people who long for connection. It's not just enough to have a relationship with God. We actually long, we crave, we hunger for meaningful connection. And this has been built into us. And this is obviously reflected in all kinds of relationships. We long for family, for friendship, for uh, mentors, for, to relate to people older than us, younger than us. We long for all types of community, right? Not to, I'm not just talking about a man and a woman together in marriage. That's one form of relationship, but we're made for all types of relationships. So we have this hunger for connection. Now, we also do have the capacity for sexual experience, for sexual intercourse, but I think throughout Scripture and throughout um, the 2,000 years of Christian teaching, you know, the place where sexual expression was reserved for the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Right? This is the place where the Scriptures say we should have sexual expression, that it's a good thing, but a very powerful thing. It's a powerful reality, the, the, the sexual drive, and it needs to be preserved and protected in this covenant of marriage. But we really live in a culture that challenges a lot of these beliefs. I think our culture actually has flipped it around. The Bible says we are made for connection with people. This is the most important hunger and the most important drive, connection with God, connection with people. And our culture has kind of flipped that around and said, well, yeah, you need intimacy, but the intimacy you need is romance and sex, right? If you're missing out on those two things, 
you're lacking love. Right? And we're kind of bombarded with these kinds of messages. Uh, almost every TV show that we watch, every movie that we watch, culminates in some kind of romance. Right? The, the main characters have to fall in love because if they haven't fallen in love, they're not really complete. And we also live in a hypersexual culture that says unless you're having sex, you're somehow missing out on some key aspect of what it means to be human. Right? And it kind of talks about intimacy and connection in, in sexual terms all the time or in romantic terms. When I mean, those things are a part of life, but they're not the main thing in life. Um, I, I don't know how many of you have had sex. I don't think uh, you're living in a different realm now. I mean, I've been married for 16 years. Yes, I have children, so I have had sex at some point. I'm not, I'm not somehow living in some different reality now that I've had sex, right? In fact, probably the deeper, more meaningful things in my life are the connections that I have with people with my children, with my wife, that have nothing to do with sex, very little to do with romance, right? And we're made for that. But we live in a culture that kind of flips around that script on us and bombards us with that kind of uh, idea. But I don't want to stand up here. I just I keep losing these. I should just put them somewhere. Um, I don't want to stand up here and say, oh, the culture, it's so bad, and, and we're so good in the church. Because I think the reality is what the Bible explains is that all of us actually experience this kind of brokenness. All of us actually experience this struggle and this confusion of our desires. Because we, we long for connection. These are good things. That, but the way those desires get expressed oftentimes gets confused. We get confused in our vision of, of what intimacy is, of what love is, of what connection is. And our desires and our longings can get confused. Uh, there's this image that uh, the author C.S. Lewis used talking about the connection between our spirituality and our sexuality. And he said this, you and I are made in God's image, which means we are meant to stand up straight and to find our identity in God. I actually want all of you to stand up right now. Everybody stand up. And stand up tall, stand up straight, because we at core are made in God's image, and so we're meant to look up to him, so stand up tall, like as though there's a rod of iron down your spine, right, really tall, and direct your gaze upwards, because you're made in God's image and there are parts of your life, parts of your identity that only God can speak into. You have this desperate longing to be known, to be loved, and God wants to be the one that fills you with his very life, with his words that say, you are enough, you are deeply loved, you are deeply seen. I want you to breathe in this reality. God wants to speak those words of love, identity, into you. He's made you in his image, male and female, beautiful and good. And he wants to fill you. This is how he's made us. And as Christians, if we believe that Jesus died on the cross, we have the privilege of, of standing up before God without any shame, without any guilt, to receive from the Father in this way. Now have a, have a seat. That's how we're made, that's what God intended, but that's usually not how it works out. You see, if we're standing tall, if we're standing upright, we can have healthy relationships because I'm, I'm finding my deepest needs met in God, and then when I have relationships with people, I can look at people and interact with them, but I'm not going to demand from some human person what only God can give me. I'm not going to look to somebody and say, you tell me who I am, I need you to make me feel okay about myself. But this is kind of what happens for us with sin and brokenness. Instead of looking up to God to receive our deepest needs met, we bend away from him, we turn away from him, and then we oftentimes look to relationships and we say, you tell me who I am. 
I need you to make me feel okay about myself. I desperately need you to give me meaning. And then we begin to get possessive about relationships. We begin to demand from people what only God can give us. We overstep boundaries. We break other people's boundaries. We become possessive, jealous, right? And then our relationships get kind of twisted. And for some of us, we use our sexuality in ways that God didn't intend. We try to seek out connection through our sexuality and our bodies that God didn't intend because we're hungering. We're hungering for love and we don't know how to find it, right? And again, we live in, a, in the midst of a culture that confuses us and our brokenness inside. And so instead of our connection with God and people being in right, in right balance, we bend away from God. And for some of us, we have relational brokenness. We don't know how to connect well with people. We, we fear relationships, maybe. For some of us, our sexuality gets confused and we don't know how to express it in healthy ways, right? Uh, and we experience brokenness. Uh, let me share with you a bit of my own uh, story and uh, how God began to work in my own life. Uh, as I said, I was born and raised here in Calgary uh, in Ranchlands for 17 years. Any Ranchlands people? All right, a few people. All right, Ranchlands Community School. I know all the alleys in uh, Ranchlands. Um, my parents are Japanese. Any Japanese people in the house? Zero. Okay, all right. <laughs> so um, my parents are Japanese. And is there a Japanese? All right, we'll have to connect later. All right. Um, but uh, my parents were, were great. They uh, became Christians after they immigrated here to Calgary. And, you know, they, they provided a lot for us. I mean, if you know Japanese people, they work hard. They're very diligent, et cetera. And my dad was totally this kind of way. Um, but one of the things my family lacked was uh, emotional intimacy or physical intimacy. And so I've never seen my parents kiss. I've never seen my parents hug. I've never seen them hold hands. I've never heard my parents say, I love you to each other. I mean, I'm still married to this day. I've never seen that kind of intimacy expressed between them. And I never had that expressed to me personally. So I've never heard them say, I love you or anything. I just kind of knew it in my head that they loved me, even though they never said it. Um, I heard a joke one time about a Japanese man who was sitting at the dinner table and he was looking across at his wife and he realized in that moment how much he loved her that he almost told her. Right? <laughs> this, was, this was my family growing up. Right? You never actually said it. You just kind of knew and assumed it. Right? And so it was kind of an emotionally cold kind of family growing up. To me, it was just normal, right? This is all of our families. We all just think our families are normal until we grow up and look at other people and like, oh, that's not how you do things, right? That was just normal for me. But that would really come to affect me in profound ways because when I was, uh, when I was 12 years old, I'm the youngest of four kids. When I was 12 years old, my oldest brother, who was 17, uh, graduated high school. He graduated from Aberhart, and uh, he drowned the summer that he died uh, just outside of Calgary. So my brother graduated high school, drowned, and I was 12 years old, just finished grade six. Totally screwed me up as a 12-year-old child. I think about a 12-year-old kid. Uh, because of my, the emotional climate in my family, we never really talked about my brother dying. Uh, I don't have a single memory of grieving about my, my brother's death with my family. I never saw my dad cry once about my brother die. And so what I did was I got my, because there was no place safe to go, I took all my emotions and I just shoved them down, right? I didn't do it consciously, but because there was no safe place for me to express my pain, 
express my hurt. Um, there was nobody who modeled that for me. I just shoved it all away. And I became so detached from my own emotions that by the time of my brother's funeral, I didn't even cry at my own brother's funeral because I was so detached from my pain. Not a good place to be when puberty is right around the corner, right? How many people love puberty? Yes. No, not, none of us, right? So it's an awkward time when you're trying to find relationships, trying to find intimacy. Who am I? What's my identity? Who are my close friends? What group do I belong to? All of this question about identity and meaning and connection. And I was so detached in my heart, I didn't know how to have any kind of intimate relationships. And that's the time when I found pornography. And it pulled me in, right? It completely pulled me in. These images of seeming intimacy, of nakedness, of, of, of love. And I was pulled in. And as an adult, I can look back and it makes sense, right? I was just a 12-year-old kid looking to escape my pain. I was a 12-year-old kid longing for intimacy. I wanted to escape my pain, escape my reality. And I just lost myself in this world of pornography. And that began for me this relationship with pornography, a habit of pornography, an addiction to pornography that carried out over many years. It's not what I needed, though, right? It's not what I needed, right? Um, but I didn't know how to actually meet any of my real needs. And so pornography was a good substitute, I guess. And I think this is true for many of us. We find things that make us feel good, even for a moment. Even though we know they're wrong, even though they don't end up truly satisfying us, we cling to these things. I have three kids. My middle son's name's Everett. He loves cinnamon buns. When he was young, he loved cinnamon buns. He loves the gooey ones, the, the ones that Sinzeo gives you at the opening of Market Mall. You know, you, write, you get into Market Mall, and they're giving, you can smell it coming in. There's Starbucks from one side, Sinzeo from the other, and then Apple, right? It's like this triple combo when, right in the beginning <laughs> of uh, Market Mall. We would, avoid, we would actually avoid that entrance because my son loves cinnamon buns so much, and he would, you know, bother us, right? When he was young, you know, he really struggled with sleeping. And I remember this one night, he was so tired, right? He's like, I can't sleep. And as parents, you guys have methods of trying to get your kids to sleep. Like, okay, maybe stand up, stay up and read for five minutes, and that didn't work. It's like, maybe I'll make your sheets really nice, and that didn't work. I'll rub your legs. Maybe that, I'll, I'll, you know, usually if I massage his head, his eyes will go, go into the back of his head, and he'll fall asleep. <laughs> Doing that, that didn't work. And we're like, and he was kind of at the place of being overtired, he was beyond tired, he was overtired, and parents know overtired, right? They're not even, you know, they don't make sense anymore. And we said, Everett, like, what can we do? How can we help you to fall asleep? And he said, cinnamon buns, okay? Now, as a parent, we know he doesn't need cinnamon buns, right? But already at a really young age, he had made the connection. This will make me feel better. It wasn't his real need, right? It wasn't, his real need was what? Sleep. But he made the connection. This will actually make me feel better even for a moment. It'll help me to escape even for a moment. And I think all of us, to one degree or another, find these things in our life from an early age. What makes me feel better? How, what kind of relationship, what type of connection maybe will make me feel better? Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's always having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's media. Maybe it's a tub of ice cream. Maybe it's five hours of Netflix, right? We all find things to numb ourselves for a bit. We don't want to look at what's inside. We all find things that just maybe make us feel okay for a moment. Well, for me, I found pornography, and I think it's pretty epidemic today. I grew up in church, similar to Marty, and uh, I knew that it was wrong, right? I heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, don't even look at a woman lustfully, etc. And so I felt really guilty about my struggles and my behavior. 
I remember in junior high trying to get rid of my first pornographic magazines. I, I felt so much guilt about it. I grabbed my, my porn magazines, and I, this isn't porn, just to let you know. I, this is our annual report, okay? I, I grabbed my porn magazine, I put them under my shirt. This is in Ranchlands, you know, and I went behind my house to the alley, I threw my porn down, and I poured lighter fluid on it, and I lit it on fire, because I, I hated this. I really, I literally hated this. And I lit it on fire, hope, thinking in my mind it would just kind of blow up or something, but it was two magazines thick, and it just started to smolder up, and then my neighbor started to come out of his house. So I'm staring there, and I can't, I'm not going to put it back in my shirt. So I start to walk away, up the alley, and I remember hearing a voice saying, hey, what are you doing? And it was my neighbor, and I remember as he said that, the first thought I had was, I hope he doesn't tell my dad. That was the first thought. And then I just pretended like I didn't hear him, and I kept walking up, and I just felt all this shame wrap around me. Like I, I wish the earth would have opened up and swallowed me. I did not want to be in that place. I felt so exposed, so dirty. And in my heart I said, I, I don't want anybody to ever know about this. I don't want anybody to know about this struggle. And so I hid it. I hid it. But unfortunately, the reality is, as humans, we're made for connection. We're made for intimacy. And it became desperate again. And I, within a week or two, I was finding again pornography because I didn't know how to have any kind of healthy relationships. The church wasn't really helpful for me growing up. I grew up in this small Japanese church, which uh, we didn't talk about anything kind of from the head below. Like, we are not sexual beings. We just talk about everything from here up, ideas. And uh, so we never talked about sexuality. Um, I never heard stories about people struggling. I never heard a story like Marty who says, you know, this is part of my life. And, and you know what? I'm not completely fixed. I never heard those stories. The only stories I heard in church were, I used to struggle with this. And now I met Jesus, and now I'm going to go serve him on the mission field. And everyone's like clapping, oh, praise God, right? Those are the only stories I heard, stories of victory, right? So for me, growing up in the church, I was sitting there, struggling with sin, hating it, praying to God to take it away, and I just kept struggling. I thought, there must be something deeply wrong with me. Because not only am I continuing to struggle with sin, but I'm struggling with sexual sin, which apparently nobody else struggles with. And so I dare not bring it up in the church. I continued to go to church growing up, but I had two worlds. One world was church, youth groups, you know, Bible camps, that kind of stuff. And this other world was my shame, my struggles, my feelings about myself. I never brought those two things together because I never saw them brought together in the church. I never saw that modeled in the church that you can actually talk about those things. So I completely kept them separate. Uh, I eventually hit rock bottom by the end of high school. Not only was I uh, uh, addicted to pornography, but I was a daily drug user, weekend binge drinker, partying, etc. And so I, 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 in this desperate attempt to change, I went to Bible college. I threw myself into Bible college. And uh, I had this picture in my mind that Bible college was like this big laundry machine. Like if I threw myself in, I'd get tossed around for about a year, being with these really spiritual people, and I'd pop out as this nice person, right? <laughs> Totally didn't happen. I went for a second year, went for a third year, kept going. And um, I grew a lot. I learned a lot about my faith. I began to experience God in profound ways. But I dare not bring this struggle up. Because again, I, 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 very few people ever talked about this. So I just kept this hidden. I eventually became a pastor, thinking maybe it would go away. I got married. And I thought, surely that should fix it, because I'm going to be actually having sex. Totally didn't work because I had nothing to do with sex, right? 
My struggle with porn had nothing to do with sex, which is the same for many of us, right? We struggle with things, uh, and they're meeting these deep, deep needs that we're not even aware of. Eventually, I came to the place um, where I took part in the Journey Discipleship course. I was a seminary student in Vancouver, and I did this course, and I was kind of expecting, oh, they would give you a safe place to confess sin, and then you'd learn how to try harder, maybe, right? But what happened when I went to the course was I talked about my sexual struggles and some of those things. They're like, hey, thanks. Like, you know, thanks for sharing. Jesus loves you. He forgives you. Now, what were those things about? And it's like, what do you mean, what are those things about? I just confessed them. Like, don't I just confess and then move on? They said, no. Why were you trying to, why were you looking for pornography? What's that hunger about? And I'd never really deeply considered that question. Why? What is this about? And it gave me the place in the program to begin to then slowly unpack uh, what was at my deep heart. Because it had nothing to do with sex. It was about my deep hunger for intimacy, the desire to be known, my deep hunger for, for comfort, to be able to express my pain, right, which had been shoved away for so long. And over the course of those weeks, it's a 17-week course now. When I did it, it was 30 weeks. Over those weeks, beginning to slowly my life, sharing about what happened for me, talking about what happened to my heart. Uh, it wasn't easy uh, for sure, but I began to slowly unpack it. And I began to understand a bit more about what the gospel's about. You know, we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, right, to cover our sin. But I began to discover that not only is the cross the place to go with our sin that we commit, but it's a place to go with our wounding, right? Jesus suffered so that he could actually come close to us in our suffering. Jesus was abandoned so that he can come close to us in our feelings of abandonment. The deepest places of our pain, Jesus wants to come to and meet us in, and in that place, speak his words of life. I needed a place to do that. I couldn't do that journey on my own. I didn't know how to do that, right? I needed a place where people would walk with me, listen to me, and help me to begin to unpack what was at the deepest places of my heart. Again, let me, let me read for you Jesus' mission statement in Luke. He said this. All the flying paper, that was my bookmark. Okay. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's saying, I'm going down into the darkest parts of who you are, the places that you have kept hidden for so long. And in that place, I want to speak my favor. This is something that was inconceivable to me because these are the very places of my life that I thought, I can't show this to God. This is, the thing, this is the stuff that disqualifies me from being a Christian. This is the stuff that I need to keep buried away because nobody should look at it, let alone God. And yet I was invited to actually bring the deepest places of my being to Him. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of God showing up in your memories. We store memories in our heart. We store pain in our heart. They don't just go away over time. And I began to experience this in the, in the journey course of Jesus coming to me in my memories and beginning to work at these deep, hidden places that had shoved away for so long. 
and through that experience began to bring about transformation. Now, I've been involved in this ministry 14 years, and I will tell you, this is not an instant kind of process. This is not, hey, just take the course and you're going to be fine. Uh, we try to provide a place where you can begin to unpack that, begin to, to look at some of these things. But I'll st I will absolutely stand up here and say God has absolutely brought about huge changes to my struggles with pornography. He absolutely has. But I'll say this, God's desire, his ultimate desire for me and his ultimate desire for you is not just that we would stop sinning. That was my, that was my goal. If I could stop sinning, I'd be happy. God's desire for you and I is way beyond that. He wants us to taste and to begin to experience life the way he intended it. So not just saying no to something, but being able to say yes to his desires and purposes for us, to say yes to him, filling us at the deepest place that we are deeply known, secure. And out of that place, out of that security, we can begin to have healthier relationships. Because we're not demanding somebody give us something that they can't. I'm not going to demand my wife, you know, make me feel perfect about myself. She's not able to do that. I have healthier expectations in my relationships. I have healthier expectations of friendships. Um, I can express my sexuality in healthier ways because it, my deep needs aren't being funneled through there. Right? And this is an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing journey as I continue to learn to be honest with people as I continue to learn to come to the cross where Jesus meets me, and I continue to find my deepest longings for love met in him. Right? I just want to uh, close with a couple of things. I don't want to give you this impression that I did this all on my own. I absolutely didn't. There were so many people who came to walk alongside me in this journey, uh, from mentors uh, in Bible college, from uh, mentors who had gone uh, on this journey before me, and in many ways, I began to gain a picture through my process of healing, not just of what God's intention was for me, but what God's intention is for the church. Because if there's any place in the world where it should be safe to talk about our brokenness, it should be the church. Right? We talk about the cross being the center of this community. We're not looking to each other to fix ourselves. We are looking up to the cross and we say, this is the place where I can be honest about my sin, honest about my past and where I should experience the love and acceptance of the people of God, right? And so through this ministry, I've begun to discover, man, this is the calling of the church, right? If anything, the church should be a safe place where we talk about our brokenness, where we pray for one another, where we begin to weep with each other and grieve with each other, right? This is one of the great callings of the church. Amen? Amen. So this is my hope uh, for the church at large. And this is what I want to pray uh, for you here at Journey Church. It's great that you guys are celebrating your one-year anniversary next week. That's awesome. I hope it's a great celebration. I'm preaching somewhere else, so I can't be here to eat your birthday cake. Um, but I hope that this begins to, I hope that this is a part of your DNA. I really don't know what it's like here at this church. I've, this is my first Sunday here. But I hope that this is a part of the DNA here, that it continues to be a part of the DNA as you go forward. Um, that this is really a community where we're not pretending that we're better than we are. Right? That we can actually come honestly and not just try to fix each other, but look to the one who has come to redeem us. Right? Learning how to do that in community. I'd love to pray for you. If you will stand, um, I would just love to pray 
for you. So even as I mentioned before, stand, stand upright. Stand upright. We just took a communion where we took in the blood and the bread, the body of Jesus. And it's enough. You can stand up tall. The way to the Father has been made open to us. So stand up tall. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as your beloved children, made in your image, beautifully made. You saw our depths as we were woven in our mother's womb. And Father, today, for many of us, we acknowledge our deep, our desperate hunger for you. We recognize it. When we're still enough, we recognize this deep hunger. And I thank you that we can look up to you. Maybe we can dare to look up to you today in a way we haven't for a long time. We can look up towards you and see that you are our good father. And you really want to speak to us your words of blessing. My beloved daughter, my beloved son. chosen desired seen cherished Father help us to look up to you to turn our gaze to you and open our ears so that we can actually hear your voice Give us the discipline to enter into the secret places with you where, where you want to speak to us and whisper to us secret things of your thoughts towards us. And Father, we also come before you well aware of our brokenness. And so we just confess to you the ways in which we, we do uh, engage in relationships in ways that are unhealthy, that we look to a person to meet needs that only you can. We acknowledge for many of us the idolatry of marriage. Those of us who look to our spouse to give us what they can't. And those of us who are waiting for marriage thinking that that's going to be the thing that fulfills us. When ultimately it's you. When ultimately it's the family of God. We confess to you the ways in which we've used our sexuality in ways that have wounded other people and wounded ourselves. We thank you that your cross is made available to us so that we can lay those things at your cross and you offer us your forgiveness and you speak to us words of freedom. And lastly, I pray for this church, Journey Church, that your spirit would be at work in this place, making it a safe place for the broken, making it a place where we, not, we don't look to one another or to any course to bring us healing, but we really look to the cross of Jesus Christ where your love was manifest, where your wisdom was manifest for the healing of the world. So I pray for the pastors here, the elders here, the leaders, that you would continue to put it on their hearts of how to shape this community. I ask that next week would be a great week of celebration for this church to acknowledge the things that you have been doing here. to guide this church in its calling.
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.